Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of Grow With Soul. Today is a coaching episode with Joe Hooper, who you may know better as Mad and Sad Club. After two mental health breakdowns in as many years, Joe took redundancy from her job in communications and started Mad and Sad Club to help organisations better help and support their employees. Six months in, Jo is now struggling to nail her value as, in her words, she's made up this new job and is unused to applying value to her work outside of the corporate framework. This, obviously, has a knock-on effect to pricing and selling her services. So, we dig into all of this today. Hi Jo. Hi Kate, how are you? I'm good, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. I'm a bit nervous about talking about all this stuff, <laughs> but I'm okay. Well, I think that's a, it's, it's very natural to be nervous. And actually, you know what? Like before every podcast recording, I get nervous. Oh, oh I saw that on your Instagram stories today. I was like, yay, that's me today. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's it's all right. Everyone's nervous, but we're all going to be fine. <laughs> okay, cool. So let's kind of dig in by starting off with talking about kind of you and your story and your business. And so, yeah, tell us all about what you do and kind of how you how you started doing it in the first place and where you're at now. Okay, so I only started doing what I'm doing now in March this year. So before that, I worked in communications for 10 or 11 years. I ran press offices and internal comms teams and marketing and things like that. And then a couple of years ago, I started to, well, I started to realise that I had been struggling with my mental health and basically had a breakdown and then another one last year just to really get a full experience um <laughs> but yeah I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression and I basically felt like my brain had stopped working and where I was like a really high functioning you know professional before I felt like I just couldn't do anything and I couldn't do my job properly and I couldn't cope and so I took some time off I ended up having to take three months off last year and tried to kind of get back into work and try and make adjustments at work to help me manage my mental health and make lifestyle changes take medications see a therapist etc but it just got to the point that I didn't think that I could kind of thrive at work and continue doing well at work and also have good mental health mm. so I was quite lucky in a way that my company my last employer were making a load of changes at the start of the year and I could see that my team would be impacted and I basically said to them I, ca- I can't have another year like I've had the last two so I'll take redundancy so I took redundancy in February and yeah started up Mad and Sad Club in March and the idea was is that um my company had all the kind of formal support. They had an employee assistance program. They had healthcare. I had time off. I had, you know, flexible working in inverted commas. But there were so many things that they could have done or tweaked or changed or been aware of that would have 
made things a lot better for me or easier and would have helped me to get better to get well so now I try and show and talk to companies about what they can do to improve things in their workplace for people who struggle with their mental health based on my kind of lived experience and that of all the people that I kind of engage with and talk to on Instagram mainly but everywhere so yeah oh and I also host my own podcast now called a place to thrive which is all about trying to make workplaces that people actually want to come to and will allow them to be healthy and happy at the same time so yeah that's me yeah so did you have the idea for the business beforehand or was it born of the necessity of the redundancy um no I'd it all happened really quickly but I had the idea for it just before Christmas or over Christmas last year. And I'd kind of written myself a bit of a plan of, okay, throughout 2019, maybe I'll try and go to part-time in my job and or get a part-time job instead of the job that I was in, which was full-time, and try and like build up this business. Um, and then I started my Mad and Sad Club Instagram account over Christmas and sort of in January, mainly as like a, I, I felt like all the kind of mental healthy Instagram accounts online were just kind of, creating loads of quotes and mm. while I think sometimes those are helpful it felt a bit trite and it didn't really feel like a kind of human community and so I started that in January this year so yeah I had the idea for it before Christmas and then when I took redundancy I was like oh well I better do it now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah I'm kind of six months in mm. and loving it in the sense that I've never felt this way about a job before, even though, you know, I thought I loved my work and blah, blah, um, when I worked for companies. I definitely feel like I've taken the right step. It feels like something that I can see myself doing for a long time and enjoying and, you know, pivoting and changing and adapting. But it's the value and the money side of it that I really struggle with because one of the things that was such a trigger for my anxiety is such a trigger is that um, I take a lot of my sort of validation and confidence from my work and I have often relied on sort of external extrinsic validation from other people mm. or from you know people at work to make me feel that I have value and so now I don't really have that <laughs> uh, I'm struggling a bit with that and also now that I you know I knew that I was good at my comms job because I'd done it for 10 years and I'd progressed and you know got to a certain level in my career but now I'm basically doing something that I've made up and mm. <laughs> I'm kind of really struggling to confidently put a value on that and off the back of that I'm then kind of getting all worried about income and cash flow and then it's easy to lose focus and try a million different things and just feeling like a bit of a crisis of confidence mm. at the moment yeah I, I and actually you know that where you say this is just something that I've made up and it doesn't have that sort of big tick of where you can walk into a hairdresser's or whatever and yes. say what you do yeah. and they're like oh okay rather than what <laughs> <laughs> I just made up this thing yeah. it's kind of based on me and you know how I went mad so yeah it does feel it's it, ev everything is an adjustment and a learning curve even like you know learning how and when I work best and what under what conditions I work best because mm. we're so conditioned to work in a certain way when we work in an office or a company but yeah I think it's the the value pricing selling mm. thing that I really need to crack because I've got loads of ideas and I 
you know, I'm, I am doing stuff and I'm working with clients, but I need to be doing more. And I think it's because it's all tied up with my confidence that um, I'm running it quite hard. So with the the value piece, which is is kind of the core, if you like, that you know, it's much easier to price yourself and then sell yourself if you actually think that what you've got is valuable. So I think that's really the key. Is this something that it, it feels like is a constant or is it that if you have a new idea, it doesn't come up in there because you're so excited about the idea or if you're kind of in doing a session at a company, is it there then? Or are you so in the work and believing in the work that it only comes out later? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, no, it, it's not there all the time, actually, when you put it like that. When I'm so I do a lot of talks and speak on panels and workshops and things. When I'm doing talks, um, I did a panel event last week and it felt really natural and people's reaction to what I was saying was that it was valuable and that it was you know things they hadn't heard before or that they could find use in and take away I I definitely don't feel it when I'm sort of performing for want of a better word from when I'm like delivering and yeah thinking about new ideas again I don't think of it then like at the moment I'm developing some toolkits for HR people and internal comms people and I know that I do know that those things will be useful. I think when it comes up is when I'm kind of, you know, sitting at my desk, like, you know, trying to go about the business of running a business, like, Mm. you know, doing all the stuff that isn't getting out in front of people. That's kind of when it comes up, when I'm maybe not feeling like busy or productive or do you know what I mean? Mm. Yes, absolutely. So it's when you're doing the kind of, business building the working on it rather than in it kind of stuff that then it can start to creep in and that's because you're a not getting the feedback loop of people go coming up to you at an event and being like wow that was really valuable to me and it's because like you say there's there's less distraction because you've got to focus on when you're working on the business and you're thinking about how you can build it it's all about thinking about the value and then extrapolating it and so if you're forced into a place where you've got to think about what's valuable about what you do that opens the door not only yes to all the the good stuff coming through but also all the bad stuff coming through yeah I think that yeah that definitely feels like where I am so what do you do at the moment when those kind of that voice or that doubt comes in So if I think about a situation where that came in, I was writing a proposal for a client and thinking about kind of the value they would get from it. And I, this is a really like difficult one. I, um, I priced it and broke down the pricing based on what, you know, what the preparation would would be, what the delivery would be for how many people, the, the kind of, I'm now starting to think about sort of the emotional labor that I have to put into Mm, these things. mm. So like this was to facilitate a basically like a a full employee engagement session with 80 people, which is like a big thing. And I priced it higher than I would have done a month ago. But I felt comfortable that it was reflective of kind of what I would have to put in and what they would get out. Um, they came back and said that it, they couldn't afford it. And I said, okay, well, these are the things that we can change to make it 
cheaper because it will be less kind of development time for mm-hmm. me and they kind of said oh no we do we do want it the way that you've described it we yeah. just don't want to pay what you <laughs> quoted yeah. so I kind of went away and tweaked it and did you know change it so that it would be less kind of mainly less sort of emotional mental labor for me and I repriced it but they still came back and said oh no it's we can't afford it and at that point I kind of left it because I had this figure in my head and I didn't want to go below that Mm. so I felt proud of myself in a way for doing that by sticking kind of by my guns but then also like oh god I could really have done with the money from (laughs) getting that client but at the same time, I didn't want to go below what I had in my head. So sometimes I kind of push through the 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 feelings and, and kind of I am able to do stuff like that. And other times it can be kind of paralyzing, like, you know, the classic where you, I just stop telling people about the things or I find it really hard to proactively approach clients that I could or companies that I could mm. maybe work with I obviously beat myself up about not having enough clients or earning enough money or all of that stuff so yeah can I either go one of two ways and it most of the time it goes the negative way like the kind of paralyzing dropping one thing and picking up another and yeah it just makes you feel really crap <laughs> yeah and, and and to to pull away and just kind of have a, a list maybe of people to approach and then just like not do anything about it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Not, not tick that thing off the to-do list. Yeah, um, which is ridiculous because all the clients that I've got have all come to me. Like all the clients that I've got have found me or they've been through referrals or they've been to an event that I spoke at and contact me, contacted me. And I know that that's really positive and should give me more confidence to then go out and approach other companies but it doesn't (laughs) well I actually think that doesn't surprise me at all that when people come to you that is a very different dynamic to you going to them and so particularly if you've not had a lot of wins from if you've not had to pitch for every client you've ever had it's now kind of being built up and built up into a, a more of a boogeyman. Whereas, yes, when people come to you, you feel like, oh, okay, well, they they want me. So not you've got the upper hand, but that dynamic, you feel less like you've gone, you know, cap in hand to try and get something yeah. from someone. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it feels like more of a friendly relationship, mm. which is how I want my work to be. You know, like in comms and in PR, especially, you're pitching to journalists every day and none of them want to listen to you (laughs) and (laughs) it's quite demoralizing at times so I should be able to cold pitch or speculatively pitch to to people but I guess it is like you know the fear of rejection and not feeling like I know what I should be saying or not feeling like I have my kind of value on the tip of my tongue able to kind of spout Mm. and yeah that different dynamic also I know that deep down I'm and this this is probably a topic for a totally different podcast but um <laughs> I know that one of my worries is I don't want to reach the breakdown point again and so I don't want to get too busy but I I need to be busy enough yeah. to pay my bills and you know be able to have a, some kind of lifestyle but I guess that's also mentally sort of that yeah. coupled with the value thing is not doing me any favors yeah it's a little specter in the background 
So when you take it back to that proposal and you're writing it all down and you can say, this is what you'll get from this section, this is what you get from that. So it sounds like you're quite able to write down what the value is that people will get. I think I am when it gets to that proposal point, when like we've had a conversation, I understand what it is that they want or kind of the context that I'm working in. And I can be quite businesslike about it, you know, like this is the agenda. This is what I'll do. This is kind of, you know, this is how I'll deliver it. This is what I will prepare. This is how many people it's for. I guess it's kind of the step back from that where I'm, you know, talking about my wares my services without having someone already interested do you know what I mean Mm. that I find tough to kind of say rather than you know I will run a one-day workshop for your managers to help them understand how their people's mental health can be affected at work rather than being sort of stating the fact about what I'm going to do talking about it in a more value-driven way Mm. I feel like that's the shift I need to make when I'm promoting or selling what Mm. I do yeah so it's so once you've had the conversation and you you were kind of a bit more under the skin of it you can kind of match everything up but it's the in isolation it's like what actually is valuable (laughs) like what is what is valuable theoretically about this rather than specifically for that organization that organization that organization yeah that's exactly it and so what from what you just said what I think needs to there needs to be a kind of unraveling away from focusing in on the how because yeah what you just said was oh we'll do this workshop and then this will happen and then we can do that and that's not where the value lives that's how the value that's how we get to the value that's the mechanics of it what the value is is what is spat out at the other end of that that system and so that will be a greater understanding of mental health in the workplace which in turn leads to happier colleagues and employees which in turn leads to retention of staff greater productivity just nicer places to be cost reductions all those things which it sounds very harsh to talk about it in those terms but that is what the value is See, that sounds really scary, like I'm over-promising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the greater understanding of mental health in the workplace, I definitely feel comfortable with. Um, I guess it's when I'm then saying the the bigger value that, that I get a bit like, oh, God, do mm. I actually, can I actually do that? Mm. Um, I do know, you know, that it would have a huge value to the people in their organisation if they as a company understood mental health better and understood how they could look after their people and not make them ill but yeah I don't know I I just I think it's the whole it's the imposter syndrome thing isn't Mm -hmm. it it's thinking oh god can I actually make that much difference what if what if they don't see that what if I'm shit what if it doesn't have any outcomes Mm. um that I need to battle again and I think and again that is the the working out about the machine if you like that yes it's not going to be the day after the workshop suddenly all their their costs for paying for people to have time off for example are going to drop but that is going to be a cumulative effect of knowing how to help their people feel happier in the workplace but yes I can understand that you don't want to go in with oh I'm going to reduce your cost by x amount because yeah that feels like a really big 
sell. <laughs> yeah. I think I like the yeah greater understanding of mental health in the workplace, people feeling more supported, people knowing how to support their teams, happier yeah. people, healthier people. That all feels mm. quite me. That's it. And, and what you said in there about people knowing how to support their teams, that's a really tangible piece of value that probably a manager is wanting to do the right thing but having no idea how and therefore either not doing it or just doing it really badly and so that is a really tangible thing that you can say well I'm going to give them this like workbook or this list or this we're going to workshop how they can do it in a way that works for them so tangibly I can say your managers will know how to help people in their teams Mm. yeah and I do feel confident in that because Mm. I speak to so many people who, you know, at like events or online or whatever, who want to help people but don't know how or are scared of talking to people that they can see are struggling because they don't know what to say. And I I do know that I can help them in that way. It's, it's making the leap between knowing that I can help them and placing a value on that, I think. Mm. And so, and then what's the financial value of that? kind of into more intangible sort of value how do you price that yeah Mm. exactly and that feels a bit like I'm just making it up if I'm honest yeah (laughs) (laughs) at the moment (laughs) and you know what it that is what it is you do have to sort of make it up because it isn't like you've got a chair that you've made and you spent x amount on wood and it took x amount of your time and and then you had to add the vat or whatever you have to add you know it's not like that it is just you making it up (laughs) yeah and I think I am getting that you know like I've only been in business for six months and so I am still feeling my way but when um that client that I was pitching to who they felt that it they couldn't afford it and one of the things they said back to me was oh but it's only a few hours on the day and a few hours before and I was like a no it's not (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but b it's not all about the time it takes me to do it it's Mm -hmm. about the sort of the value that you get and the impact that it then has on me like that sort of doing a session like that I wouldn't be able to do another one of those that day because my brain would be frazzled from it. So I, I I am slowly getting to the point where I know it's not just all about time and that I do have to, as you say, kind of decide what the value is of what I'm offering. And it's a it's something that you will have to kind of tread a little bit. And what you did in that scenario, which was, no, I can't lower this to a point where I'm not going to feel almost resentful of doing this workshop for you like that's in a lot of ways that's all you've got to go on and that what that level is will change so sometimes it might be something that you know you you might be feeling really well or it might just be a really exciting opportunity or it might be like a charity or something where you they don't really have the money where you'd be that level can go down and you still won't resent it because there are other factors filling you up and then there are times where you know in three months six months 12 months time the level goes up just because that's how you feel about it Mm. it's so hard to think of joining up your value with how you feel about it Mm. because it's so it feels so unbusinessy um (laughs) do you know what i mean um but you are right like a lot because of the nature of what i've created for myself I I can't 
you know, bash out 10 of these talks mm-hmm. a day or, and I don't want to, I don't want to work like that anymore. I've, you know, strung myself out for 10 years. I want to, I want to work in a different way, in a way that makes me he- healthy and happy, mm-hmm. funnily enough. And so, yeah, that it does make sense to, to incorporate how I feel about it into the pricing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it feels a bit, I don't know, yeah. unusual. No, I know what you mean. It feels like it's you, like, it's not right in inverted commas and that it should be something else and all that that is is a insecurity around being a person with a business and that there are certain ways to boxes to tick in order to to be able to say you have a business and and pricing is always one of those whereas actually nobody needs to see how you're pricing it you know if you see uh you know coaches therapists other consultants you don't see how they're pricing. You don't see what what formulas they're using. More often than not, it is quite an intuitive thing of this is how I this is where I need to be in order for this to feel worthwhile. And particularly because you're worried about it being because you're worried, you're never going to overprice doing it yeah, this way. True. <laughs> <laughs> Even when I went with to that client with the first price, I was like yeah what I'm offering is a lot and what they want out of it is a lot so I didn't I haven't felt too bad in letting that go also what's tied up in that is that that is I had some links with the organization from years ago but I um I speculatively went to them Mm. um to ask if they wanted to work together and then they were like no we can't afford to (laughs) so that feels like a bit of a thorny one but I don't feel I'm not like banging my head on the table Mm. that I didn't get that bit of work well and with them it's yes it you you went to them and all that sort of thing so that there wasn't a stack of budget there available but they also weren't really willing to compromise well yeah exactly (laughs) they wanted the the bespoke workshop they wanted all the things that you'd said and you offered to take it out and they they wanted their cake and it and to eat it so to be fair yeah (laughs) like you you came up with a solution and they were like no we just want everything you've offered but for really cheap so like that's that's fair enough to you to, to say no to that. <laughs> it didn't feel great. Like if we're talking no. about feelings, it didn't feel great no. to have that sort of response from them. Mm. And it was at that point where I was like, oh, I don't even know if I want to work with you now yeah. because of that reaction, that response. Mm. And like the way I market myself at the moment, I I feel like such a fraud for saying the way I market myself. <laughs> like I've got this grand marketing plan. But, the you know, the way I talk about what I do at the moment, I deliberately don't say you know, X billion pounds a year being lost to the UK economy because of people's poor mental health at work, you will be losing X thousand staff days a year because of absentees and due to mental health issues. Because I don't want to work with companies who want to do it because of the money. I want to Mm. work with companies who want to do it because it's the right thing to do. So again, I suppose that's all my intuition, my feeling coming into it rather Mm -hmm. than any sort of, you know, grand formula. Yeah, no, and that makes, and you've got to position yourself from that point of feeling because, like, what's the point if you're going to hate it? Well, yeah, exactly. God, I've spent <laughs> enough time hating my job. Yeah. I don't want to hate it when I work for myself. <laughs> and actually, something that might be uh, an interesting thought experiment on the pricing front and everything is that to, to say, for example, you weren't doing what you're doing, or what you actually decided to do was go off and freelance as like a comms consultant because that was what your background was. 
how would you price yourself then? Yeah, so I did start by doing that, actually. I priced, so I was purely pricing based on time. And I set a day rate for myself based on what I would get if I were freelancing as a head of comms. And then I priced my stuff based on how long would it take me to develop and how long would it take me to deliver and then I was having conversations with people about well it's not just about time it's also about the value that you offer them and the value that they bring to you as a client so I'm trying to kind of where I'm you know I I have kind of some quite clear things that I do like I run a workshop for internal comms people I run a workshop for managers I do a one-hour call and those have set prices on my website which I might review next year but for now they have set prices Mm -hmm. but where things fall outside of that and I have to develop something bespoke I'm pricing based not just on time or trying to price based not just on time but also on value and yeah I guess that's where all this stuff is coming in because it felt like by pricing based just on time I was kind of not taking into account the sort of emotional investment that I have to put into it and and then the impact that it has Mm -hmm. on me as well Um, and I'm not saying that I don't like doing any of the stuff. I love it. But it, I I do have to be honest with myself that, you know, if I do a talk in the morning, then I'm not going to be very doing very much in the afternoon because I will be pretty fried after having done that. Mm. So, yeah, it felt like basing it just on my time or a day rate if I were freelancing that um, it just felt like I was kind of underselling myself mm. a bit. And it's interesting that when we think about it in terms of if you were doing being ahead of comms that you were you weren't as trepidatious in the way you spoke about that it was oh we do this and so I think that's something to hold on to is that you're six months in yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna feel really kind of gross (laughs) at this point because you're not you don't have that 10 years of experience behind you which is which is backing you up and and where you feel you can show a cv and be like look here's why and so what you have to do is to build that for yourself so start to put together an evidence bank of even just even just for yourself of well that was the nice thing that such and such said and here is here's let me read all my testimonials again let me update my testimonials page even and just to kind of keep putting that theoretical CV in place so that you can follow the steps that you know are right in terms of your pricing yeah you're right I am yeah if like the the thing I went I spoke at last week when people were coming up to me afterwards there were quite a lot of people and they were saying really kind positive things and it felt amazing but I don't actually have a testimonials page on my website Mm. (laughs) Um, and I haven't asked anyone for testimonials and I think I need to do that yes that's probably a good start yeah (laughs) Yeah. no it's good I am you know it's funny because testimonials are like whenever I'm buying something or hiring something very rarely do I look at testimonials because I kind of want to go off the basis of how I feel about someone's work like I kind of don't really care what anyone else got out of it but I know that's not true for everybody and that and particularly as you're doing very strongly b2b and going into organizations that proof of concept is something that's quite important that you know a HR manager can take it to the head of HR and be like oh look and she's worked with such and such and this is what they said and this is what we can do and and that helps them to sell it in sell you in so 
that's probably something to start putting together and even if you if you don't feel that you can ask you can maybe kind of write one yourself based on what they've said to you or take things out of emails that they might have sent and then put it all together and and say do you mind if I use this as a testimonial and that's an easy way to kind of start getting some through yeah I need I you know I had these grand plans at the beginning that I would develop this kind of client survey that I'd send out to people afterwards to do just that to gather testimonials Mm. and I kind of haven't done it and I I don't know why Mm. (laughs) I don't know if it's like I think part of me again coming back to the value thing is like oh what would they have to say about what I did Mm. which is silly because I know at the time when I'm doing it doing the talk or the workshop or whatever that it is positive and they've they have said really positive things to Mm. me but I guess it's that you know after the fact going back to people yeah no I I completely empathize with you and you you know what like I get this all the time when I finish working with a client I think I assume they all hate me afterwards (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like oh they probably hate me now (laughs) Um, just because that distance and you sort of all the doubts creep in you think oh well maybe they think well that was rubbish so actually having a form helps to take that away because rather than having to sit down and either write out a testimonial or ask for one and where you start then to think oh but god but what if they actually hate it what if they hated every moment of it just to send a link and say when you're wrapping up and say it'd be great if you could fill this in like it that you can just copy and paste it in copy and paste it in and it's it's so mercenary that you don't have to attach those feelings to it yeah yeah I think I think even like clients that I wrapped up working with a few weeks or months ago I think I'm gonna do the you know send the link and see what I get back Mm. because also I can ask not just for testimonials but like what was it like working with me is there anything I could improve Mm -hmm. all that stuff so I'll get more Mm -hmm. out of it than just testimonials hopefully if anyone yeah. feels out and, and you can frame it from a you know how's everything going how have you you know just ca- catching up checking in to see how things are and yeah prompting just making it nice <laughs> and, and prompting them to start thinking about it and then yeah send the send the form also I wanted to ask so I a lot of what I've done has been kind of talks for or workshops or whatever for sort of umbrella organizations so how could I go back to them and be like how was that talk I did like I don't know maybe I should approach people who came to the talk they're the people who seem to be referring clients to Mm. me because I would quite like to have some testimonials about you know public speaking stuff that I've done um because I really enjoy that yeah so what I think is actually quite useful to think about in this instance is who is the customer and what do they need to see so if we're thinking about let's say that your kind of core target client is HR managers for example what do they need to see in order to help them make that decision so are they more interested in the organizer of a talk and how they found that you benefited the event 
or are they more interested in the receivers of the talk and how it has changed their approach in their own organisations and in their own work? Yeah, I guess it's the receivers of the talk because like, you know, if I were pitching to speak at a big conference or something, then I think it would be useful to have that first perspective. Mm -hmm. But actually what I'm pitching for is to work with their people. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's the the receivers of the talk, the people who came along. So maybe I could, like I have quite a small but engaged following on Twitter. I could maybe put the survey out on Twitter saying, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm doing a bit of self-reflection. If you've been to one of my talks this year, I'd really appreciate if you took a couple of minutes to fill out the survey and see what I get back from that. I think that's a really good idea yeah mm-hmm. it's funny isn't it like i would feel comfortable doing that on twitter but not on linkedin for some reason <laughs> <laughs> i think linkedin's a bit of a den of vipers <laughs> i know that's the thing like i know that i i love using instagram and i love and so i just i just really enjoy instagram the whole thing about it since i started afresh with my mad inside club account but i'm not using instagram as a kind of like sales mm. tool for want of a better word and then i really don't like using linkedin mm. <laughs> and i don't think i use linkedin in as effective a way as i use instagram even though i'm not using instagram to sell to anyone i feel like i need to take something from what i'm doing with instagram and apply it to linkedin yeah but it's a bit more scary I think that, and particularly because it's a very professional platform, but also that when we're doing B2B marketing as you are, we get very into the role of that person and we forget that they're an actual human being who like likes to laugh and who like watches cat videos and stuff like that. And we don't, we don't apply it over, especially with what you do when you and your approach and you as a human is so integral to the whole experience it definitely doesn't make sense for you to go onto LinkedIn and you know pencil skirt that that kind of look you know and then you're completely that's not who you are like and you're trying to appeal to other people who feel like they should be like that too but that's not really the sum of who they are so it's really with all of this and with all of this this selling it's thinking about who is that person on the other side and not letting their job title obscure their humanity. Yeah, you're right. I think I am falling into that on LinkedIn. I I quite like being bold and kind of provocative a little bit when it comes to like talks or whatnot um, or, you know, what I'm doing. So I do try and bring in, I do try and be myself on LinkedIn, like rather than being like, oh, I was really pleased to partner with these people to do this <laughs> workshop. I'm, I've kind of been like, you know, what can internal comms do people do about mental health work? Bloody loads. Come yeah. to my workshop and find out. And it does, It you know, it, I do get good engagement and stuff on LinkedIn, but it doesn't feel as natural a place to me as Instagram. But I don't know whether that's just me, as you say, forgetting that the people I'm talking to are still human beings at the end of the day. Well, I think there are going to be there's always going to be places where you feel better and the format is going to be better. So I would look at what it is specifically about Instagram that you f- you find that you enjoy so much that you find easy to do there and take isolate that and how can that be flipped and applied to LinkedIn. So maybe it's the, the writing of the caption. Well, one thing that LinkedIn's really got going for it is 
the ability to do long form content. So you can maybe use LinkedIn almost as a blogging platform or, or to take your podcast episodes and either put them on there or transcribe them and put the transcriptions on there as posts. And that way you can kind of get the personality of the things that you like to do outside of LinkedIn onto LinkedIn without kind of losing too much of yourself in the process. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a bit recently, actually, like what it is that I enjoy about Instagram. I guess there's like loads of bits of it. I like the creativity of, you know, looking for imagery and taking photos and playing about with my camera and learning. I like doing videos and talky videos and silly, silly things. And so maybe... I need to apply some of that visualness mm. to LinkedIn, like use, try and think of LinkedIn more visually than just writey. Yeah. And think about how I can do it in a sort of more fun way because mm. LinkedIn doesn't feel fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> and then I get to thinking, well, should I be like, if I know my audience are on LinkedIn, but I don't really like LinkedIn, should I be targeting that audience or should I be doing more stuff for actual human people because I like talking to actual human people on LinkedIn or oh, on Instagram sorry mm. but then maybe I'm forgetting that human people are on LinkedIn as well yeah ah! they're just <laughs> pretending not to be <laughs> yeah exactly they've got the pencil set mm. I think it's it is that as you mentioned about this is where my audience are but I hate it so are they even really my audience and I think in LinkedIn's uh, in the case of LinkedIn yes because it's kind of it's not like a choice in a lot of ways you kind of especially if you work in the HR side of things or even if you're just a professional you basically have to be there a little bit so to take some of what works for you on Instagram and apply that to LinkedIn just to mean it's something that you don't hate doing yeah I think so I think yeah even if I just used not the same imagery that I use on LinkedIn, but, you know, I'm taking photos all the time and thinking about how I might want to use it on Instagram and maybe taking some of those, just using that as a visual to go mm. along with the thing that I'm writing about on LinkedIn yeah. might make it a bit more interesting. Mm. Well, and all the, the, all the stats show that visuals online attract I don't know how much more attention was. I can't remember the stuff off the top of my head, but it's like tweets with um, images get five times more likes or impressions or whatever it was. Like just because it's on LinkedIn doesn't mean that human behavior changes and that they're no longer attracted to images. They only want to see text. So it's, it's kind of, there are these imposed rules around what should be there and what shouldn't, but that doesn't really matter you've got to find a way to use it in a way that feels like you because ultimately people have got to hire you because you are you. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I do, I, I think working for myself has brought out, I, I've always been like a kind of assertive, unafraid to, you know, speak truth to power kind of person, mm. apart from when I was, you know, super mad and sad <laughs> over the last few years. But um, I quite like that working for myself has is allowing me to be a bit more bold um and challenging and I I kind of like that side of myself and I think I need to think about how I can how I can use that in the right way on LinkedIn maybe yeah and it's that thinking about it in terms of the brand rather than a person for hire 
that it's not just somebody they can get in to talk about something for an hour and tick a box it's a a committed experience that they want for their staff so they're not they don't just want some boring old person to come in they want to make this experience and then you therefore as the mad and sad club brand can show a little bit of what that experience would be like that do you know what i mean because you see some people online who do consulting work and you've got the the sooty linkedin picture and it, well, i've done i've got five years of experience here. and then you see other people who you know have written the books and they're wearing like tartan trousers and stuff like that who are doing the ted talks that's the kind of difference is that one's a person for hire and one is like a brand that you get in to do an experience for your stuff can you talk a bit more about that? Like, how would I, 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 and I totally know what you mean. And I, that massively resonates with me. Like when, since I've been doing this, there, there are people who are doing similar ish things and I've, you know, been jealous of them for getting all these gigs and talking about them and thinking oh, I could do that. But like, I'm not them. I'm not the, the suit person in a suit who stands behind a lecture. And that is literally my worst nightmare. I'm the person who's like, waving their arms about and wearing dms and <laughs> not standing around a lectern but i i how can i bring that out more if we're talking about like a b2b marketing sense like through linkedin or through my blogging or whatever i think you you show it like literally through your imagery like you do elsewhere it's going to be your tone of voice a lot as well um, so showing your approach through that. There's somebody I'm thinking of who I've seen talk and he has an agency and he does consulting. His name's Mark Shaler. But he is, so he just talks about marketing, but he the examples he uses are of like, 70s punk bands because that's kind <laughs> of his vibe and so he brings those elements of his personality that aren't corporate and applies them to that corporate setting does that make make a little bit more sense so it's writing a blog post in the way you would say it out loud with your arms waving around yeah <laughs> okay I can do that yeah that makes a lot of sense I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna look him up I'm I'm one of my things I need to do this week is plan a kind of 10 minute talk that I'm giving at a big conference in a couple of weeks and the the theme is changing the conversation which is perfect for me because I want to talk about changing the conversation around mental health at work. And I think it's a really good like springboard for me to use to be kind of um, challenging and just myself. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to think about how I can use more human rather than corporate sort of mm-hmm. examples and imagery as part of that. I think that's what it it feels like overall for you is that where a lot of the discomfort is coming from is that you've got one foot in two different boxes and that you're trying to, in some ways, consciously or unconsciously, squeeze yourself into an image of what somebody might need you to be, but also you're really resisting and reacting against that. And that's where the discomfort's coming from. So it's a a part of committing to be a brand rather than a person who comes in to do a talk and then goes away and that it's a more deeper experience than that it's a it's an experience not just a talk or a workshop allowing elements of you to come into that but not but also that there's a then a barrier between they're not rejecting me they're rejecting the brand and that's fine the brand's not going to be for everyone it's not supposed to be it's for these these people who don't just want to tick the box they want to have that 
whole experience. And I then... really, I really like that. Like mm. actually, the thinking of it as an experience, not just a talk, not just ticking a box, and being a brand feels like it sits better with the idea of valuing what I'm offering Mm -hmm. like it's I'm not just offering a talk that you buy off the shelf that I come and do and then we don't talk to each other again what what I'm offering is an experience for your people and like a kind of helping hand for you to do this properly precisely and so yeah so you're approaching it from that that brand box if you like and then layered on top of that is remembering the humanity of the person on the other side and and making it easy for them to say yes as a person so that doesn't mean going oh here's all the stats about mental health and costs and things like that it's what does this person need in order like if they believe it what do they need to help them sell it into their boss and how can I give them that how can I work with this person to get them to where they want to be and help them succeed that's always a really nice way to approach b2b because with b2b it's like i said you've got the hr manager who's kind of trying to make a make a difference like get themselves known they want to get promoted in the next year or so they're trying and they also want to make a difference in their company and the way they want to do that is through these new experiences and and really kind of going deep onto things so what do they need from you to really help them get there and then you you're removing yourself and your value as a human from that because it's the brand can do this for you let me put some things together which you can then give to your boss or here's a little packet or a proposal that that the brand has created but it's not about you joe as a human like you're just there delivering it it's all about the brand that yeah. makes sense <laughs> yeah it definitely it really does make sense and it's making me think about like I think today I've kind of you know written a copy for my website and promotional stuff try in lots of different ways in trying to say like you know it doesn't need to be that complicated you don't need to be scared about it I can give you the inside track and that that kind of messaging that you just talked through feels like a really strong way to articulate what I do that's a bit more powerful than what I'm doing at the moment so I'm not just helping you tick a box I'm giving you and your people I'm giving your people an experience that will help them and I'm gonna you know support you to make a difference in your organization and you HR person internal comms person whoever are a human who wants to do the right thing and I can help you do this Mm. feels really yeah it feels really me but also quite powerful yeah it does like just you saying that then it does feel really powerful because you're cutting through well because it's the truth that's the thing and the truth will always be powerful and it's obviously the truth and it just cuts through all the shtick and the salesy stuff and it's you connecting with another human being yeah yeah it's it's funny isn't it when you when you have to start saying aloud what what do you do and how do you do it or you know the value that you're offering Eek. um I do slip back into corporate language mm. I feel like I'm still trying to shake off this corporate hangover whereas talking about it in that way feels much more me yeah and um, like you yeah. say I need to write it down in the way that I'm speaking it mm. Yeah, and in some ways it's good that you have a, a fluency in corporate language because that's the language that 
other people your people that you're trying to talk to speak as well so that if you can commune on them at their level that's good but in order to set the tone and to where the decision making happens isn't at that corporate speak level it's at that truth telling emotional level so that's where you need to be pitching your sales copy but you can drop down into corporate if somebody needs needs that kind of reassurance or whatever that you 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 can do it if you have to but it's not the plane you operate on yeah and I think yeah also if if it feels like I have to drop into corporate language then maybe that's not yeah, the right organization for me to be working <laughs> yeah. with because I ain't very corporate when mm. I get into an organization and that's not what I want to be anymore it's really like reassuring to hear you say though that that's you know the decision making happens in the truth-telling mm-hmm. um sort of emotional space rather than the corporate word space um because you're kind of well my brain keeps wanting to tell me the opposite mm. and I think that's why I've been slipping into the sort of corporate language that doesn't feel very like me yeah and because it, it goes against everything that we've ever been conditioned to believe and, and act but it's just it, it's literally neuroscience that the part of the brain that controls decision making isn't the part of the brain that controls language like that's just a fact that you can't get away with so it doesn't really matter what you say it matters how you make people feel and so to operate as I said at that level where you are getting to that part of the brain rather than just fluffing around with words that's actually what's gonna make the difference yeah and feels much more me good so hopefully there's some kind of next steps for you there but before I do let you go I have to ask you how do you grow a soul in your work and life I'm still figuring that out and I think that is how I grow with soul is by giving myself the space and the freedom to figure out what I want from my life and to kind of try and develop this business that I've made up in a way that that helps me live a life that will make me healthy and happy so yeah I guess just taking a step off the ladder and um, giving myself some freedom to try something new and seeing how that goes I'm still figuring it all out (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's really nice that you're giving yourself the the time and space and the kindness to sit with that figuring it out. Yeah, I think like one of the things I realised over the last few years since I have been since I've realised that I've been struggling or I do struggle with depression and anxiety, and I think it's something that you know I've had for years and years and not realised, is that I need to not everything is figure outable immediately and I need to do the work and spend the time and give myself space to understand myself better and figure out what it is that makes me tick and what makes me happy and what makes me anxious and the only way I can understand that is by experiencing it so I'm trying to take a sort of I'm trying to take that sort of approach to the way that I develop my business. So where can people come and find you and chat to you and connect with you online? My favourite place is Instagram. I am um, Mad and Sad Club there. And my website is madandsadclub.co.uk. Come say hi. And maybe not on LinkedIn. <laughs> no. I mean, I'll try. Come find me on LinkedIn. I'm Joe Hooper. Um, but I, I like Instagram. Great. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Kate. 
Just a reminder that the early bird pre-orders for my new course, The Playbook, are open for the next couple of weeks. The Playbook is for those who, like Joe and like me, facilitate change in others rather than have a tangible product. So we're talking coaches, consultants, therapists, teachers, mentors, etc. If you're feeling crowded out and like you're not really holding onto the reins of your business and at times like it's actually running away with you, then the playbook is to help you settle things down, shine your light and take back control. In it, I'm sharing all the techniques I use in my business to stand out in a crowded market, to make sales, how I create courses and new offerings, how I plan and strategize both for the day-to-day and the future of my business and generally just grow a business that feels like me. There are some really great pre-order bonuses that you get instant access to before the course starts in January. So to find out more about them and the course itself, go to simpleandseason.com forward slash the playbook. Any links that we mentioned in this episode will be on my website, which is simpleandseason.com forward slash podcast. And you can find me and Joe on Instagram. I'm at simpleandseason and she's at mad and sad club. As always, if you think you have a friend who'd really benefit from listening to this conversation, please send them the link to the episode and do share where you're listening and tag me because I love to see you too. And until next time, I hope you grow a song. <laughs>